Amen. Good morning, church. How y'all doing today? Sorry, I was about to start doing the welcome. Because, wait, let's pump the brakes on that a little bit. Uh, But uh, it's good to be together this morning. It's good to be together in a heated space this morning. Praise God for that. Uh, My name is Amaury de la Cruz, and, uh, you know, for those of you who are visiting today, I am not a minister. Well, I'm not officially a minister. The Bible says that we are all ministers of Christ. We are Christ's ambassadors. But I am not the minister. Our minister, James Warren, uh, could not be here today, but I have some good news to share about James. Uh, Surgery was a success uh, this past Thursday, and he's already feeling a whole lot better. Praise God for answering our prayers. Amen? Now today, uh, we're going to continue a sermon series that James began a few weeks ago titled American Idols. And no, we're not doing a a singing contest today. It's just a little play on the words. But the goal of this series is to give us a deeper insight into the motives behind our actions. You know, the Bible says that the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. And there are certain things that when you see them, you know they are sin. But in this series, what we're trying to do is we're trying to look at what is below the surface. Our sin is like an iceberg, and you only see a small portion of it, just like this iceberg behind me. Well, that's what it's supposed to represent. It kind of looks like a rock. But that's kind of what icebergs are. They're big rocks of water. And most of it is, you know, what's visible is a small portion. That's what's above the surface. And a lot of times the sin that's in our lives that's what's visible. It's a small portion. The things, you know, the, the things that you think are evident to you uh, or that other people might have pointed out, they're but a small portion of what's really there. And we need to really dig deep to look beneath the surface. And we need to, you know, use the Bible to help us to do that. And so this series is really trying to do that. Uh, we looked at the last time uh, James started this sermon series a couple weeks ago at Lehman. He looked at the deep idol of control. And, you know, there are three idols uh, in this series that we're going to look at. We're going to look at control, importance, and comfort. And how these things, although, you know, a lot of times we desire to have control, we desire to be important, and uh, we desire comfort, they can become idols in our lives if we're not careful. And today we're going to look at the idol of importance. And, uh, you know, to start us off, I want to look at Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11. So if you get a chance, please turn there. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, That cannot hold water. You know, in this scripture, God is speaking, and through Jeremiah, he tells us that idols are like broken cisterns. And, you know, I don't know how many of you have actually ever lived with a cistern. I used to have that in my country, in the Dominican Republic. We used to have a cistern. And the reason we had one was because we didn't have running water. So we needed the cistern to sustain us. And what God is saying here is that idols sometimes appear to give us what we need. But in this case, they are like broken cisterns. There's no water in them. 
They just look like they're giving us what we need. God is the one that gives us that is the true wellspring of life. And so, you know, as we look at, we're going to look at a number of scriptures here, and I want to ask you to, uh, you know, really try to dig deep. The, the, the challenge here is that, you know, when we think of an idol, I know for me, the thing that I think of an idol, I think of a statue. I think of something physical. You know, the, there's a, the word idol is defined as an image or representation of a god used as an object of worship. Now, how many of us here have little statues that we worship at home? Anybody? No, no, don't raise your hand. That's kind of a rhetorical question, right? So I don't expect you to raise your hand, but most of us don't have statues that you worship at home, most of us, but yet we still have idols in our lives. And the challenge for us is being able to look beneath the surface, to look at our hearts to really see what those idols are and how they are stealing our worship away from God, and instead we are serving these idols. So today we're going to spend a few minutes, hopefully a few minutes, uh, looking at the idol of importance. So the first scripture I want to share with you is Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, this scripture is important. Because it reminds us of how important we are to God. It reminds us that God looked at us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, earlier we got a chance to take communion together, and, you know, it's great to hear from uh, different people. It feels like the last few weeks we've been hearing from men and women, and that has been an encouragement for me. It's great to hear uh, from, uh, from whether they're married couples or single brothers and sisters sharing communion. And, you know, the truth is that Jesus, when we remember his death, burial, and resurrection, in the scripture says that that was a demonstration of God's love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it's important as we look at this idol of importance, it's key that we remember that we actually are important to God. That to God, we are worthy of the sacrifice of his son. And God wants us to be secure in that. The problem comes when that's not enough. When we obsess about feeling important in other ways. When God's importance for us is not enough. And you know, as we look at this series, we're going to look at, it's it's got an interesting format. We're going to look at the lie that's associated with a certain idol. And we're also going to look at the snare that's associated with those idols. You know, and I don't know if you know what a snare is. I had to look it up because it's not a word that I use regularly. I kind of had an idea, but it's a trap. It's actually a trap specifically for a bird. But the Bible actually uses this word, snare. And we're going to look at both the lie that's associated with with this idol of importance and the snare, the trap that can catch us. And a lot of times, you know, so, so the lie for this idol is this. If a certain person or a specific group or maybe these coworkers in my profession or maybe someone here in church, if they find me worthy of attention or love, if they acknowledge my value or greatness, as long as I'm not humiliated before them, then I'll be respected, important, and acceptable. Right? So the lie there is that if these people or if this person says to me, I'm important, I'm valuable, 
then I'm actually respected. Then I'm actually important. Then I'm actually acceptable. Why is that a lie? Because we already know that Jesus died for us. That God sent his son that whether or not this person accepts me, I'm important to God already. So this is a lie. You know, and I think we all want to be considered important. We all want to be appreciated. I know that for me, you know, the last two months at work have been a little bit challenging. Now, I work at a utility company, and a lot of times that job in the past was actually pretty easy. Like, I never left late. I would always leave on time. 40 hours, I'm done. If, you know, I want to apologize to a few of you already because over the last two months, if you've asked me how it's going at work, how, how's it going at Maudie? How are you doing? I've probably said something like, man, work is tough. That's kind of how I've started the conversation. You know, it's been tough. been working late hours. Over the last two, two months, uh, myself and my other teammates, uh, we're part of the engineering team, we've been working 25 to 50% more hours. So 50-hour, 60-hour work weeks the last two months. And here's the thing, church. We're not getting paid overtime. <laughs> wow, okay. We're not getting paid at all for those hours. What? <laughs> it's an injustice. Okay, no, no, no. But, you know, it's been, it's been a challenge. You know, this, it's one of those times, you, you know how they, how they say, hey, you're a salaried employee, so you don't get overtime. It's one of those deals where I'm like, come on, man, really? All right. But the thing is, you know, during that time, we've actually, our team has gotten a lot of um, appreciation. You know, the director of the department a few times has sent out emails or in meetings and said, hey, I want to thank the engineering team. These guys are working late. Nobody's feeding them. Nobody's asking them to stay late to do this work, but they're staying late and they're getting the job done. And it's nice to get that appreciation. We all want that. The problem is that that becomes an idol when we are seeking that out. When all of a sudden, or maybe not all of a sudden, maybe over time, but when our attitude or our actions are altered because we're seeking out that kind of importance or that kind of validation. You know, and a lot of times the fear that's associated with this kind of idolatry is a fear of rejection or a fear of humiliation. And the way it plays out is that a lot of times this idol appears to appeals to us when we have an excessive need for affirmation. But we need to feel important in everything that we're doing or in the interactions that we have or in the relationships that we have. When we have an overwhelming need for approval of, or love from others. When we desire excessively recognition. You know, a lot of times this manifests itself in a certain behavior. You know, we can brag about what we've done. Oh, you should have seen how I handled that situation, man. I really, I really aced that. That was amazing. Did you, did, you see the, did you see the sermon I gave? How was it? Right? Like, we can, we can really look for that, that kind of appreciation or that kind of love. We, we go fishing pr- for praise. How did I do? Was it good? Did I go, do a good job on that? These are all ways that we can become idolatrous by seeking out importance and letting that importance and letting that search for importance affect the way that we live and the actions that we take, the decisions that we make. You know, if this is you, then you're fearing that you will let people down. You might even be beating yourself up for not saying the right things. And you, you might always be seek, you might be often seeking to please someone. And sometimes that desire to please people leads us to avoid conflict. You know, and 
this morning, I want to spend a little bit of time looking at a character in the Bible that suffered with this idol. And so it's, it's King Saul, and I want to ask you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 9, in verse 17. King Saul uh, was the first king of uh, the nation of Israel here in the Old Testament. And we're going to read in chapter 9, verse 16 and 17. It says, About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him leader over my people Israel. He will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. I've looked upon my people, for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. And in verse 21, if you skip down, it says, Saul answered, But am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? You know, this, this passage right here, it starts off in verse 16 with God talking to the prophet Samuel. And he tells Samuel that Samuel will see the man that God has chosen to be the first king of Israel. The prophet Samuel reveals, then reveals to Saul that God has chosen him to be Israel's first king. How important do you think that was? Very important. We always celebrate the first, the first person in well, you know me, the first man on the moon. That's, that's the thing I'm going to think about. Neil Armstrong, we know that name. The first person to do this, the first person to do that, this was Saul here. And you know, the interesting thing about Saul here is that if you look at his attitude, he starts out maybe, you know, humble, maybe even insecure, right? He says, I am the least of my clan, and my clan is the least of this tribe, and this tribe is the least of this nation, you know, Saul starts out in that place where he doesn't yet think he's the man. But in chapter 10, later on in chapter 10, Samuel affirms Saul's appointment before all of Israel. So first here in chapter 9, he, directs, he talks directly to Saul and says, hey, Saul, listen, you're going to be the king. Now here in chapter 10, check out what Samuel does in verse 24. Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, long live the king. Can you imagine if James Warren was here today and he pulled you up here on stage and said, look, look at this person. There is no one like her among anyone in our ministry. Long live Gwen Miller. Or long live Charles Sands. Or long live fill in your name, right? Can you imagine what that must have been like for Saul? Now imagine being, having that done in front of your entire country. That's what, happen, that's what happens here. So Saul, who was, you know, basically in his own eyes a no one, God grabs him, says, you're going to be my king, the king of my people, puts him up in front, and then honors him in front of everyone. And, say, and, and through Samuel, says there's no one like him among, among all the people. You know, the truth is that you can take that a couple different ways, right? You can take that, and, you know, you might feel great about that. You might feel like, man, that's right. It's about time someone noticed it. It's about time someone noticed I mean, I'm just saying I'm just saying, though, I don't mean to brag, but it's about time that someone noticed 
all of the good work that I've been doing for the Lord. The truth is you could also take it the other way. You could, you could be humbled by that. You could say, wow, you know, just a few moments ago, I was nobody. What have I done to deserve this? Unfortunately, Saul found the importance. He found his importance in the opinion of others. And this is one of the first traps of this idol. It's when we gain our importance, our significance, and we base it on the opinions of, of others. This is called the approval trap. And early in his reign, Saul made a fatal mistake. He failed to completely carry out a command of God. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 17 to 21, Samuel, it says, Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission, saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, said Saul. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag their king. The soldiers took the sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. You know, in this encounter, we see that Samuel and Saul are having a conversation, and they really have a disagreement. Well, it seems like they have a disagreement about what's happening. Samuel says, hey, you didn't do, you didn't obey God's word. And Saul disagrees. He says, no, I did. I did obey God's word. And the truth is that this example here shows us why we need people in our lives to help us see things beneath the surface. Here Samuel was a prophet to Saul. And as the prophet, he was able to help Saul see the truth. He was able to speak the truth to Saul. And we need people like that in our lives. But we see here that Saul, his response to having the truth spoken to him was to be dishonest. He was dishonest with himself. He didn't want to look bad in front of Saul, up in front of Samuel. And so he said, no, I, I did do this. But the truth is that he was, he was actually only lying to himself. Samuel wasn't buying it. He could see right through it. You know, Saul convinced himself that he did what God asked. And after a while, when we convince ourselves that our motives are pure or that we're doing what God is asking us to do, when the Bible is clearly telling us that our motives are not, we start to believe the hype. We start to believe that as the truth. And that's what happened to Saul here. Samuel was able to see through in verse 22 and 23 in the same chapter. It says, Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. You know, Samuel tells Saul the truth here, and it's a painful truth. And the truth was that Saul was not putting God first. He was not worshiping God here. And the consequences were severe. And after being confronted by Samuel... Saul finally admitted that he disobeyed God, and he also gave the reason. In verse 24, it says, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command 
and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. You ever been so afraid of the people that you're dealing with that you don't tell them the truth? That's what happened to Saul here. Saul was afraid of the people, he says. He was afraid that they might rebel, perhaps, that they might stop singing his praises. You know, once he got that taste, when he was introduced to the people and everybody roared and they said, long live the king. Here, Saul, maybe he was thinking about that time and saying, wow, I want them to say that again. This feels good when they say that. I want them to shout my name. All right, everybody, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take the best. We're going to give it over to God, right? He's justifying his actions by saying, I'm doing this for God. And a lot of times, this type of idolatry leads us to do that. We start saying, bro, I'm just doing this to give God the glory. Are you, Amaudi, doing this for, for God's glory? Or are you doing this because you want people to say, Amaudi, great job, man. That was amazing. You really preached the word, brother. You should think about being a minister. Am I doing that for that? Are you, what, what's the motivation behind your actions? What's the motivation behind the things that you think about, the goals that you set? Here for Saul, his motivation was to please the people. And not just, you know, the thing is that it doesn't just stay there. When we're pleasing people, when we focus on pleasing people, it just never ends. For Saul, he wanted to please the people first. And so he went along, apparently, with not following God's commands. And then when Samuel shows up, what does he want to do? He wants to please Samuel. And he says to Samuel, no, no, listen, everything's good. I did what you asked me to. It's all good. Saul keeps going from one person to the other, trying to please them. You know, when, we, when we're doing that, when that's the kind of lives that we're living, when, when our choices are motivated because we want to get that acceptance from people, that's idolatry. That's this type of idolatry, the idolatry of importance. You know, and the truth is that this trap is really about a fear of men. A fear of women. This kind of fear makes you hypersensitive to the smallest bit of criticism. And sometimes it can lead to extreme responses. It can lead to defensiveness, to anger, to shutting down, you know, shutting people out. We should not, we need to be careful of falling into this trap of seeking importance by seeking people's approval. Now, again, you know, I want to remind you, it's not bad to be, you know, to have that approval. The problem is when we become seekers of that approval. When seeking that approval takes us away from following God's word, just like it took Saul away from following God's commands here. You know, the second type of trap that this idol can lead us to fall into is the trap of recognition. And what I mean by that is, you know, seeking to be held up for what you've done for what we've done, for what we've accomplished, or for how good we are. And this trap is fueled by pride, and it hungers for admiration and fame, and often it's fueled by comparing ourselves to others. You know, if you find yourself hurt, if someone doesn't give you the recognition you expect or think you deserve, and then you act on that pain, then you're falling into this trap. And Saul fell victim to this trap. So, you know, we... we see that at the beginning of Saul's reign, even before he is, uh, you know, as he's presented to the people, 
The people love him. You know, the people shout, long live the king. They're behind him 100%. You know, but something happens over time. You get older. The new guy comes. He might be better spoken. She might be more good looking, according to people. Maybe they have more degrees, whatever. Saul went through that. And so we see a little bit of that here in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 7. After David defeated Goliath, it says that, you know, here we see a, a situation where the woman come out from all the towns singing and dancing. And in verse 7 it says, as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his, dou- his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But me with only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. You know, this is, to me, this is a little funny that Saul would be like, man, only thousands? But I think we can all relate to this. Because really, when we fall into this trap, it's not really actually about what we've done. It's about how we compare to other people. And that's what Saul is doing here. Saul was angry because the woman applauded David's exploits over his. My question is, what makes you angry? What's the thing that makes you angry when you don't get a certain type of recognition? How do you handle that? How do we handle that when our efforts are not lauded? When someone doesn't say, hey, man, thank you for holding the door for me. I got to confess, church, I'd be struggling with that. You know, I, I might go into a coffee shop. I might hold the door. For someone, yeah, I see them coming out. I let them go out. They're busy. They got a coffee in one hand and a phone on the other. They just keep on walking. And in my mind, I'm thinking, man, what a jerk. <laughs> really? <laughs> now, this is not a good example. I'm confessing this is sin. All right? Just want to be clear. I just want to be clear. That's a sin. All right? Jesus says, do not call your brother Raka. Right? Do not. We should. Now, I didn't technically use a curse word. But in my mind, you know, sometimes I even mutter it. I'm like, ah, jerk. I didn't get my appreciation, man. Can't you see? I'm not the typical New Yorker. I'm holding the door for you. Come on, man. I'm driving. I'm going to let you in. Can you give me a wave? Can you give me the courtesy wave? Where's my appreciation? Where's my recognition? You know, when we get angry, when we don't get that kind of recognition and we act, we let that anger lead us, that's idolatry. We are worshiping at that idol of importance. We're no longer focused on the fact that God says, oh, man, I see that. That's a great job. Nice job out of you. That's not enough anymore. Now I need this guy over here to stop being so selfish and focused on his phone and his coffee and say thank you to me. Is that too much to ask? Surely not, right? We need to guard our hearts. Maybe you feel like you should get more recognition at your job, or maybe you feel like, you know, really we need to, someone at church should recognize you for the fact that you're teaching every midweek. Listen, I would love to recognize, I mean, I would love to be able to, like, bake something for everybody. And we need to recognize, and we try to do 
those kinds of recognitions and those appreciation Sundays. I think a couple couple Sundays ago, uh, the children's ministry did that for the teachers. That's not bad. That's a good thing. We need to do that for each other. The problem is when I'm expecting it from you. That's when it becomes a problem. When I'm demanding it from you or when you demand it from someone else. That's when it's an issue. You know, maybe you feel like your talents are being used to the, to the level that, that they should be. And the truth is that Saul started off humble and God blessed him. God gave him an immense responsibility. And through Samuel, God said, I think this is the right guy for the job. So it wasn't just like, hey, here, take care of this, clean this up. You know, God was saying, there's no one like him. He can do this. God gave him an incredible responsibility. But Saul's hunger for recognition derailed his kingship. And we see the, the beginning of it here in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Well, actually, we see the beginning earlier in chapter 15. We see it continue here in his interaction with the new kid on the block, David. You know, the, so the question is, how do we tear down these, this idol of importance? How do we make sure that we're not worshiping at it, that we're not sacrificing to it on a regular basis? So I think the first thing we got to do is we need to replace the idol of importance. You know, we see that a lot in the Old Testament where the people, the Israelites, had set up idols. And God tells them to go into those high places, tear them down. You know, and God wants us to get rid of these idols that are in our lives. And today we're talking about importance. We need to replace the root of this idol, the fear of people, the fear of men that need uh, to please others and instead put in its place the fear of God. So in his book, Gospel Relationships, Tim Chester writes, the answer to the fear of man is the fear of God. We need a big view of God. To fear God is to respect, worship, trust, and submit to God. To fear God is to have proper appreciation of his holiness, majesty, glory, power, love, and wrath. Christians can now call God our Father, and fear in the sense of terror has been taken away. We must meditate on God's glory, greatness, holiness, power, splendor, beauty, grace, mercy, and love. Encourage anyone struggling with fear of man issues to compare the person they fear with God. So, you know, Proverbs chapter 29, there, there's a number of Proverbs that talk about the fear of man and trusting God. In verse 25 in chapter 29, it says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Proverbs 14:26. Verse N27 says, He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for his children it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. And Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. What do these scriptures tell us? 
They tell us that when we revere God instead of people, we have security and we achieve the goal of our faith. And Jesus says it in a different way in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, it says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Jesus tells us here that really fearing God is about trusting him. It's about trusting his promise. You know, the fear of, pre- of people, of what people will think, uh, of how they will see us, drives us to do a lot of things. It can drive us to do things that otherwise we would never think about. It can drive us into relationships. It can drive us to destroy relationships. But here Jesus tells us that if we replace that fear of people, that fear of getting our sense of self-worth, our sense of importance from others with fearing God, then we actually achieve freedom. We're free from the anxieties that come when we seek out my boss's, you know, accolades. Colossians 3 says that who are we working for? We're working for God. If you do the very best you can at your job, well, my, my faith says that you will be blessed. That's for me. So I believe that if you do the very best that you can at your job, God will bless you. Regardless of what your boss thinks, regardless of what he sees. So I have seen that in my life. You know, my attitude, I try, this scripture was shared with me as a young Christian early on, and I've tried to hold on to it. And my approach to work is, man, I'm going to do the best I can. Now, nobody's perfect, right? So it's a struggle. But this scripture guides me. And it means to me that whether or not my supervisor gives me a glowing review, I'm going to try to do my best because my ultimate supervisor is God above. It's Jesus. I'm working for Christ. I'm working to make an impact on that job. I'm working to show my coworkers the light of Jesus. I'm working so that one day, you know, we'll, I'll have an opportunity to share my faith with them or study the Bible with them. And, you know, the truth is that maybe your supervisor doesn't recognize you. Maybe the people that are around you don't recognize how great you are, how amazing you are, how hard you work. But the truth is that other people can see that. And other people may end up vouching for you. Since I graduated college, I've had two professional jobs. Uh, One was working at an engineering firm, and then the other one was working at this utility company that I work at. Both jobs I got because (laughs) my college uh, classmate referred me. And he said, hey, Mauri, you know, I know you're a hard worker. I think you should apply for this job gave me a recommendation. I didn't have to go looking for those jobs. I'm, I'm grateful not because I'm so amazing, but because God used that guy 
to be my personal headhunter. He gets me my jobs. I'm looking, you know, in a couple years when I'm ready to move on, I'm going to give him a call, and I'm going to say, dude, what you got for me this time? You know, God blesses us when we focus on pleasing him and not pleasing people. We need to replace the idol of importance with reverence for God through obedience to his word. And I think the other solution, the other way that we can get rid of this idol is to replace selfishness with selflessness. Being motivated by what others think of us at its core is self-centered. And it is really like living in a prison that you create, that we create for ourselves. In his book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, The Path to True Christian Joy, author Timothy Keller writes, The essence of humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. You know, I really like this quote because a lot of times I've gotten confused about what it means to be humble. I've, I've, I've thought that being humble me- meant really talking down to myself. Maudie, you're not great. You're horrible. You're a sinner. You're a wretch. I've thought that that was what it meant to be humble. And I don't really think that that's what it means to be humble now. Jesus never said that to himself. You know, he never, he didn't really talk to his disciples in that way. I mean, there were a few times when he said, you know, some challenging things. But we see the Bible is full of scriptures that tell us that, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, you are God's treasured possession. In 1 Peter, it says that you are a chosen people. God's not looking for us to be humble by tearing ourselves down. But he's looking for us to be humble by thinking of ourselves less. Self-forgetfulness is simply obeying the second and greatest commandment, which is in Mark chapter 12 and verse 31. It says, the second commandment is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. When we obey the second greatest commandment, the importance of our need to feel important fades to the background. When we consider others and not look only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others, we're able to get away from worshiping at this idol of importance. It's not about us anymore. We're able to feed off of God's word and use that to help us get out of ourselves and serve those around us. You know, in conclusion, it's important for us to learn from the mistakes of King Saul. We need to build on the grace of God and not on the approval of others. We need to replace the fear of man with reverence for God and selflessness. And we need to trust God. We need to believe his word and what he says about you and what he says about me. And by putting these things into practice, we can tear down the idol of importance and live lives motivated by sincere love for God and for people. And that's really the focus of our year here in Harlem. Mark chapter 12, to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. These are the greatest commandments. And with, these, with this command, we can tear down the idol of, of importance. Amen?